across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and happy trade deadline to you all and to you, Arif. I know it was an exciting trade deadline, kind of all around the NHL. Fun trade deadline, as always. I mean, that's what's great about the NHL. What, what did you spend your trade deadline day doing today? Break, us, break it down for us a little bit, just kind of the way your day went, Arif. You know, so I uh, woke up in the morning, obviously. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode uh, with myself and JJ of Avalanche Talk, Mile High Sports. Uh, woke up this morning, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, actually 8 o'clock Eastern, so I was up at like 6, 6.30. Uh, turn on Sportsnet, watch their feed for throughout the entire morning, obviously uh, myself and Mike Chambers, and just sort of uh, utilizing his sources because I'm still sort of new to the business and trying to build some just to get an idea of what's going on. Uh, then a Mestikov trade broke very early in the day, and then the rest of the league sort of started getting a little crazy. Uh, more so than in years past, trades were coming in quickly, they were coming often, there were big names being pulled around, and a uh, lot of phone calls, obviously being able to shadow someone who's been doing this for 25 years and seeing their 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 view of how they deal with something like this. It was really cool, and obviously, you know, a lot of people might be upset over the moves the Avalanche made, but I think it was a great day overall. Yeah, backing up a little bit, just for those who may not know, um, you do live, your roommate is Mike Chambers, who covers the ass for the Denver Post. So, um, you know, it's got to be awesome to have kind of follow a guy who does have some of those inside sources, see the way a trade deadline works from the journalism perspective, because that's such a big deal on trade deadline. How many people out there are always trying to break trades and break rumors? And it's cool to kind of see that in person. I mean, I've been doing this for six years. I'm just not cool enough to have my own sources. So I think that'd be a fun thing to watch on on trade deadline day. But, you know, a lot like you, I was glued to my TV all day watching all these trades come in and out. Um, You know, honestly, I was kind of just slowly scratching each name off the list of who I wanted the Avs to pick up. It was really upsetting because for me, it seemed like the Avs were in on a lot of the guys that you wanted, that I wanted, that we talked about on this podcast. They lost out on a handful. But... They did get a, a couple of big names. First off, like you already mentioned, Nemestikov. So let's break down the Vladislav Nemestikov acquisition a little bit. Um, just what are your initial thoughts on it? And, and we'll get into a little bit more about what they gave up on the backside here. Uh, Nemestikov's a great pickup. He's a two-way forward. He'll play on your uh, – he's, he's a top seven-ish. He'll play on your third line, ideally. There's that term again. There's that term that Pierre Lebrun used about a month ago. It's a, He's a top seven-ish guy. He'll play on your third line, ideally, but when injuries happen, you don't have to, like last game, use Nieto or Martin Kelt on your second line. You can throw a Nemestikov up there and feel a little bit more comfortable because he has that potential and that upside to be more of an offensive guy. Uh, in Ottawa this year, he's uh, he's got 13 goals and 25 points in 56 games, so he's you know hovering around that you know, 41-point pace over a full season. He leads the NHL uh, tied for the most shorthanded goals with four and the most shorthanded points with six. Obviously, he plays a lot of shorthanded minutes. 
that's a great uh, pickup for the Avalanche because they can always use more penalty killers, seeing how their penalty kill is 19th in the league right I, now. I feel like Jared Bednar and the, this coaching staff is just obsessed with penalty killers. They they love to have guys kill penalties, and they love to turn you know everybody into a penalty killer. Tyson mm-hmm. Jokes was killing penalties last game and played nearly 21 minutes, although there was probably a reason behind that. But, you know... This is the exact type of guy I thought they would go for. And when fully healthy, if ever fully healthy, the Avalanche have a very good top 12. The problem is, can they be fully healthy uh, so that Nemestikov could play the role that he was brought in to play and succeed in? What I really like about him the most is he can kind of play up and down the lineup. I mean, yeah, Yeah. he's brought in to be kind of more of that bottom six kind of guy. But, I mean, back in Tampa Bay, he would play with Kucherov and Stamkos pretty often. You know, he did play a lot of PP down there as well. I'm not sure what they had him doing in Ottawa. You know, my best memories of Nemestikov really are from Tampa Bay. But, you know, I just like his IQ. I think he's a smart hockey player. Most of the goals he scores come right around the net, you know, so he's – predicting these rebounds he's got these quick reflexes to put those home and you know just the way he can shelf a puck standing right in front of a goalie kind of just makes him exactly what the avalanche needed we didn't realize it was Nemestikov the exact name but like you said this is the exact guy they needed I love the way he plays in front of the net that's my favorite thing watch watch an eye out for keep an eye out for uh just his how quietly he puts himself in spaces where suddenly the defense just completely forget about him you know who he reminds me of, but a little bit smaller? Remember the 2016 season when the Avalanche picked up Sean Mathias? Mm-hmm. And he came in and just scored a whole crap load of goals for yep. some reason. And nearly outscored, outscored Michael Bodker for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Uh, he kind of reminds me of that. He's that bottom six forward who can play on your second line, who's got an offensive pedigree to him, but is more of a shutdown, complete player. Basically, the writing is on the wall that he's the type of player that the Avalanche always thought Tyson Jost would become with more of an offensive upside, obviously, for Jost. And that's the player he'll replace in the lineup when they're healthy. Uh, he'll play on a line more than likely with some sort of a mixture of, of Donskoy, Kampfer, and Nichushkin, and it'll most likely be Nichushkin and, and Kampfer on that third line. And he slots in so well into that role. Yeah, he reminds me of a... I, I would say a, a more skilled Kamenev if we're if we're drawing yeah, comparisons. That's, that's, a, that's another good one. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> so that being said, one thing I don't not like too much about his game is just his simple size. I mean, I th- I've seen a couple highlight reels where he's getting tossed around. Yeah. Um, pretty good. So you know, he he finds himself in quiet areas, but when he doesn't, you know, he might get shoved around a little bit, which isn't exactly what I love to see from the Avalanche. Uh, anybody who's been listening to my podcast for a while knows that I'm all about those size and the grit guys, and I think the Avalanche have enough of the kind of guys that will get tossed around. So a little bit of a downside in my opinion, but I still love all all the offensive power that he does have uh, available. And you and I have talked um, before on this podcast just about the play around the net. There's rebounds that are just sitting there and nobody's attacking him. Well, I think the Mesticot's a perfect guy to to be finding those rebounds. For sure. And that's the kind of guy where you can even, if you want to mess with the power play the way the Avalanche have in recent uh, in recent past, you can stick him on that first unit and put him in that role right in the front, that that bumper role, and he can play in front of the net. He can he can do what Kadri does. He can do what Wilson was doing last year, and he'll probably do that on the second pair. But when injuries happen, like they are right now, I would not be surprised to see him slotted into the first pair against the Buffalo Sabers on Wednesday. Of course, it was a trade, so he didn't really have much of a say in coming to Colorado. But it really seems like Colorado has just become such a hotbed for Russians in the last, yeah. what, hand three, maybe four years. So it's funny that, that they just had another Russian, but he's going to fit right in. I mean, 
I'm excited to see what he brings with, with the skilled guys. Yeah, he's going to be playing, obviously, with Nichushkin, Zadorov, um, Kamenev, and him and himself. So you got four Russians in the locker room now, so that's really cool. And he may even play on a line with Nichushkin. Ideally, that would be the way that you want it to to shake out. And, yeah, it just seems like now nowadays players love when they get traded or come to the Avalanche just because there's all this excitement around this franchise. There's all this excitement about, about them being able to win. And not only being able to win and being in a good position, but their window is just now starting. This isn't the San Jose of last year where somebody might sign there and think we have a couple chances. This is, you know, it can go off for a decade or maybe even longer like the Penguins and Caps have been going on. But uh, he does seem excited. He had an interview earlier today. I believe it was on TSN or maybe it was sports. And then I forget. I was sort of sort of switching between the two all day. And uh, he seemed very happy about coming here and you know you can't blame him the avalanche are fighting for first in the western conference and he came from the senators and he was traded to the rangers in 2018 and he played for the rangers last year too so he hasn't seen playoff hockey in quite a while because tampa bay missed the playoffs in 17 as well so it's been since that cup run in in uh 15 and then the following season in 16 that's the last time he's been in the playoffs yeah it's got to be invigorating to go to a team like this especially when you know the pressure's not on him to carry anything he's just got to contribute just got to be a guy that uh, just adds, you know what I mean? Correct. Um, so, yeah, I think that's enough on him. Let's move on to the second acquisition of the day, one that people aren't as excited about, and that's the goaltender, Michael Hutchinson. We knew that Avalanche were looking for goalie depth. Well, here they kind of proved themselves and said, yep, we're going to buy somebody. Let me get your initial thoughts on Michael Hutchinson before I dig into him. Cool. So I'll, uh, I'm going to give two thoughts here. The first thought is everyone's expectation of what – Joe Sackick meant when he said we're going to acquire a goalie. And then the second is Hutchinson. So starting with Sackick, it's uh, make no mistake, the Avalanche were and we're always going to roll with the Grubauer and Francouz pairing, at least for this season. Uh, Francouz, uh, sorry, Grubauer did nothing last year in the playoffs to say go find a goalie. And his recent play before his injury says, I'm getting hot and I'm getting ready for the playoffs. And Francouz's recent play, especially and all season, if you really think about it, has said, I deserve a shot to be a top two goalie. So there was no mistake in my mind. Yes, we heard Carey Price. Yes, we heard Henrik Lundqvist. We heard the Robin Lenners, the Corey Crawfords. But there was no mistake in my mind that the Avalanche were going to roll with these two guys. Now, here's the issue. Right now, one of them is injured. Nobody knows how long he's out for. Once we find out how long he's out for, once Bednar gives us that news, it'll sort of shed a little light on this. But the reality is the Avalanche needed a goalie because Hunter Miska cannot be in the NHL right now. You cannot put a rookie in there who's never played in the NHL, barely played in the AHL, and expect him to be a part of a playoff race. Also, you cannot keep playing Francouz on back-to-back nights. So the Avalanche needed to get a goaltender. The only thing is, the only goaltender, the type of goalie they were going to acquire was someone that when Grubauer and Francouz are healthy... You can sit him on the bench or in in the press box and say you're going to be a healthy scratch today. You cannot do it do that to a Corey Crawford. You can't even do that to a Ryan Miller. Mm-hmm. That was someone that somebody said, "Hey, let's get this guy." I said, "Yeah," and then you're going to tell 39 or however you all, old you are, veteran, respected veteran like Ryan Miller, go sit in the press box because we got these two guys. That's never going to happen. So the Avalanche were always going to get a Michael Hutchinson, a Louis Domingue, an Aaron Dell. Aaron Dell was a guy that I wanted from San Jose. Um, but it was always going to be that goalie. So just in terms of the expectation, I think people were sort of led astray by what they thought the Avalanche were going to do. But this was right up their alley. 
Now, in terms of the goaltender himself, he has had a brutal season, and let's not make a mistake about it. He was set up for failure in October and November because Babcock only played him on the second game of a back-to-back. He refused to give Hutchinson a game outside of the second of a back-to-back, and the Maple Leafs suck in the second of back-to-backs. Finally, Sheldon Keefe got hired in Toronto. He played three straight games in December and in January, and he won them all. Granted, it was Detroit and the Devils and then the Islanders. He won three straight games. Then after that, he went in a little bit of a rut with the with the Maple Leafs, and that ultimately led to after Craig, uh, not Craig, Frederick Anderson's injury, that led to Toronto going out and acquiring another goalie, and obviously having no use for Hutchinson anymore. So, there's two things that I think about him. Number one, he has had a terrible season. There's no mistake about it. He wasn't really set up for success in the beginning, but it's been bad. Number two. Man, that damn pressure cooker in Toronto. You have one bad game and they are all over you, especially in that backup role, which has been a topic, a massive topic in the Michael Babcock in the Mike Babcock era. So Michael Hutchinson, he might turn it around, but I mean, what are the Avalanche expecting from him? The only thing we're expecting from him is to maybe play the second of a back-to-back next weekend if Grubauer is not ready yet, or this upcoming weekend, and that's about it. You know, he's not going to see mm-hmm. more than two or three games. Ideally, if it gets to the point where Hutchinson is starting for you in the playoffs, well. That's a problem. Right. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, that's kind of exactly what I thought and kind of what I tweeted today, too. He's going to be a plan Z. They're only going to use him when they absolutely freaking have to. They love what they've got in Francis. Obviously, the, Grubauer is the number one guy. But, you know, a little, a couple more stats to go along with uh, what you were feeding out there was, uh, you know, he's played 15 games this season and he's given up four pl- or more goals nine of those times. Last season, he played nine games, gave up four more goals five of those times. So essentially, about 50% of the times he's playing, he's given up four-plus goals. That's not exactly what you want to see. I mean, I, I understand your point about you know who's playing in front of him. He's playing on back-to-backs and all that. But a couple things I noticed about his game when I kind of started doing my homework a little bit today um, as to why he kind of struggles. And I think his recovery is just really bad. Um, when he's making that first save – Whatever, he, he makes the first save fine, but then he's, he has a hard time following those rebounds upright. What he ends up is on his butt, on his belly. He never ends up still being in his upright goalie butterfly position, and that's what drives me nuts um, about his game mostly. Secondly, his lateral movement's pretty terrible too. Again, because of those sliding on your butt, ending up on your stomach, trying to make a, a crazy save, he, he just can't move side to side that well. Um, you know, there's a, an element of finesse that you sacrifice too. He's a big boy, um, so I think there's a, just that kind of a, a extra bit of athleticism that kind of lacks in his game as well. But I do have some good things to say about him. You, you like a big goalie these days. Yeah. I like he he's pretty good at using his size, and he doesn't challenge as much as you'd like. But you know, for being who he is, I, I like his size. I like the way he uses it, um, and I think he reads the play really well. You know, he can cut across the crease. He can follow those plays the way he should. It's just he ends up in the wrong position, right? He ends up flopping around and starting to look like Dominic Hasek out there, which I don't really love. But, you know, as an AHL goalie, I think that you look at his AHL numbers, those are closer to what you want to see. Yeah. Um, not exactly spectacular, but if that's the role he's coming into play, then I think he might be just fine for that. You just got to hope... He's not playing more than two or three games, like you said. 
For sure. And yeah, I mean, I, I firmly believe that this is obviously just that safety net because the Avalanche after Grubauer and Francis, they don't really have that third goalie that has the NHL experience, which brings me to my next point that none of this would even be a topic of discussion. In my opinion, he would not have even been acquired had Anton Bebo been healthy because mm-hmm. that was that veteran goalie that they had in the AHL. You have to remember they traded for Bebo right at the end of the right at the end of training camp in the summer and they traded a good pro or a, a, a prospect that was supposed to be good in Nicholas Malosh for him. Uh, to San Jose because they needed a goalie that wasn't Adam Werner and Hunter Miska. Uh, basically, all these young goalies that have projects. never se- – Yeah, projects. have never seen NHL action, barely seen AHL action. They want somebody that they know what they're going to get, just like we used to talk about that number five, six, seven defenseman. You know what you're going to get from an Anton Bebo, and you can use him confidently. You know, I use that word loosely if there's an injury. You don't have that with Miska, and now you have that with Hutchinson. Right. I think you're right. It's absolutely an acquisition of circumstance because yep. Hutchinson was waived earlier this season. So you think if Joe really wanted him, he would have probably gotten him back then. He just had yeah. to do it now. Um, that being said... What they gave up. They had to give up something for Correct. him, and that's Callie Rosen. So um, I guess it kind of shows you what they thought of Callie Rosen, or do you think there's some something else we should be reading between the lines here with getting rid of him? I think it's ultimately exactly that. It's what they thought of him. Beginning of the season, the Avalanche had a lot of defensemen vying for a position. I mean, we you know, we, we were still talking about the possibility of Ryan Graves being or not being one of your top six defensemen. Granted, you know, he was projected to take over Patrick Nemeth's spot. We just didn't know for sure if it was going to happen. Then you had that whole Bowen Byram thing going on where, hey, is this kid going to make it? Is he going to get nine games? Is he going to play full time? Connor Timmins came out, surprised the crap out of everybody, made it opening night. He was actually paired with Kelly Rosen during the preseason. So you had nine or 10, even with Barbario, nine, 10, 11 defensemen all vying for a spot. You had Johnson and Cole on the, or specifically Ian Cole on the IR for the first eight games of the season. So it seems like they had a lot of defensemen fighting for spots, and Callie Rosen lost. And at the end of it, they just said, you know what, let's cut bait. He's a player that's looking for NHL for an NHL position. Uh, he's probably going to get that in Toronto. I remember in the summer before the trade happened, uh, shortly after Toronto got eliminated, it was expected that Callie Rosen was going to be a full-time top six defenseman on the Maple Leafs heading into next season. Suddenly, July 1st came around, he was part of the Kadri trade. So to some teams, he is more valuable especially the team that we that the Avalanche acquired him for before trading mm-hmm. him back today. So it's ultimately that. He didn't do anything out of the ordinary. He just lost to Ryan Graves. He lost to Connor Timmins, who came out of a concussion. Obviously, Bowen Byram got sent down. He lost to Barbario, so he wasn't the number seven defenseman. And, you know, at that point, what are you going to do? Just keep him around the NHL? Yeah, May we, as well get rid of him. We've even seen Lindholm called up. Um, Correct, you know, yeah. So um, if I went... <clears throat> to you back in the summer, and I said, all right, the Avalanche can either trade Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri and Callie Rosen, or we could trade Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri and Michael Hutchinson. Which would you prefer? It wouldn't make a difference. I think I'd lean towards the Hutchinson trade. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's 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 just an extra little piece. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, again, obviously the Avalanche gave up two uh, big pieces, and by big I mean regular NHLers, and Kerfoot and Berry – and they only got one back. So it kind of reminds me, if you remember the deal they made with St. Louis about a decade ago now, nine years ago now, where it was a big player in Shattenkirk, a big player in, in Stewart, for a big player in Eric Johnson, and then a depth forward in Jay McClement, who, side note, became one of my favorite Avalanche guys. I loved his game. But he was always going to be the worst of the four players. So whoever was going to be part of that trade, whether it's Rosen, whether it's Hutchinson, was always going to be the worst of the four 
Um, obviously, the Avalanche got the better draft pick to make up for it, but it wouldn't have made a huge difference. If it was Hutchinson back then, the Bebo trade probably wouldn't have happened, and this is your guy. But I liked the Cali Rosen addition at the time because I thought, hey, this is someone that could possibly come in here and make, you know, make an impression and take a spot. But obviously, the person that ended up doing that was Ryan Graves and and Connor Timmins, and it wasn't Cali Rosen. It was an honest to God effort, and now he's going to go back to where he's comfortable and where he's going to be able to play NHL minutes. You got to be pretty happy with Joe Sagig, I think, not really moving anybody of the current roster, right? They didn't really break up anything in the locker room, which was one of my concerns a couple weeks back. However, the name Tyson Jost was floated out there pretty heavily. What's this going to do to his confidence, and do you think that's going to create a little tension between him and kind of the front office? You know, I think the writing is on the wall with that. Uh, Tyson Jost, at this point, has to be very much aware that Things aren't working out for him here. For all we know, it could be him going to the Avalanche and saying, hey, give me a fresh start. I need Mm -hmm. a fresh start. Not your fault, not my fault, but I need a fresh start. And it could possibly be that. Uh, But the reality is he's he's not going to be around for much longer. Uh, If the Avalanche are fully healthy, he shouldn't even be playing. Uh, And we'll find out, I guess, this summer what happens. But with a fully healthy forward core, Tyson Joseph is your 13th forward. That's just the reality of it now. Nemestikov slots into number 12. And if you go through the depth chart, it's you know it's very simple. You have your McKinnon, Landisclaw, Granton in line. You have the new guys, Kadri, Donskoy, Burakovsky. Your fourth line, let's skip line three for a second. Your fourth line is Nieto, Calvert, Belmar. Your fourth line, Kompfer, Nichushkin, Jost. Who's going to sit? Tyson, Tyson Jost. Jost right so now, it'll yeah. be Nemestikov, Nichushkin, Jost. Or Nemestikov, Nichushkin, Kompfer. So... The writing is on the wall there. Tyson uh, Tyson Jost has to know it's coming at this point. Um, and, and it sucks for him to not get traded, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as Avalanche fans you know, like to harp on his 35-game goalless drought now, uh, the reality is it sucks for him because now he knows going into this playoff run, this is probably his last chance with the Avalanche. He loves that locker room. He loves everybody in there. Uh, he's very close with Landis Goggin with the leadership group. And... You know, it's 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 this is a, this is a shot at his at him at him as a player, and 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 I think it's it's kind of gonna make a difference for him. But in terms of what you said about the locker room, I think it is good that the Avalanche didn't move anybody. Even though we talked about the Zadorov possibilities mm-hmm. and what Montreal was scouting and Kamenev, etc., that locker room is a very tight group. Uh, Kamenev's got his friends in there. He's got his boys in there. There's a couple of the Russians, and they lo- they all love you know they all love to chit chat. Berakovsky and Zadorov sit side by side, and they are best buds at this point so you don't really want to mess with that you want to be able to to see what you got with this team and the avalanche have a good team like let's not forget that adding only nemesikov is not last year where your second line is soderberg uh nieto and calvert and you're only adding an old Derek brassard this is a far different case at first when you said that about tyson jost i thought that was a really hot take but the more i thought about it and the more i listened to you explain that the more you're absolutely right that's just the way it makes sense when the abs are fully healthy however you know that's the challenge it's hard hard for these guys this group specifically to get uh healthy um considering that they weren't able to move tyson jost also means you know there's a handful of guys that were on the board and the abs were close on that they didn't get who's somebody that they were close on or rumored to be close on um, that you were disappointed that the Avalanche didn't acquire? So there's one name that came up today. Sportsnet's Eric Francis tweeted out that there was a possibility that Columbus was looking to move Josh Anderson. Uh, looking more into it, Josh Anderson is injured and hasn't played since mid-December. And there's some articles that have come out from some Columbus media 
saying that what possibly this is over the last few hours what possibly could have ruined his trade uh, the possibility of a trade and his value is the fact that they're now finding out that he might be out for the year so obviously this is not something that Joe Sackick you know dropped the ball on or didn't happen for any reason other than he's injured he's not going to play but had he been healthy and had that actually been the case that would have been a wonderful pickup now Josh Anderson let's let's you know Obviously, the Avalanche have a Josh Anderson of their own. That's a completely different guy. This is the right winger, six foot three, two hundred twenty-two pounds with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's not had a good season. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Twenty-six games, one goal, three assists, four points. That's all he's got this year. But that's not the type of player he is. Last year, he had twenty-seven goals and forty-seven and forty-seven points. The year before, nineteen goals and sixty-three games. Seventeen goals the year before. He's a big physical, in-your-face, I-will-hurt-you type of and player. Like and I said earlier, score. those are the guys I love. Those are the guys you love, and those are the kind of guys that the Avalanche are missing. So let's go back to that depth chart I just went over. Landeskog, McKinnon, Renton. Obviously, they, they switch things around. That top line is not always together. But just in, you know, let's, for this, for this example, right. we're going to go with this. Landeskog, McKinnon, and Renton. Neither of them are big, in-your-face players. Landeskog is a little bit smaller, but he is a pesky, I-will-hurt-you type of player. Your second line, you have Kedri, Donskoy, Burakovsky. Donskoy and Burakovsky are not by any means physical at all. There's more skilled players. And then you got Nazem Kadri. He's not the biggest player, but he's a feisty little guy. Mm -hmm. Then you got your third line, Comfort between Nachushkin and Nemestikov. You have a couple of Russians that are not that are bigger bodies but don't necessarily use their bodies. And then you have this feisty guy that went to Michigan, go blue, and he loves to get into everybody's face. But again, JT Comfort, not a big guy at all. Go to your fourth line, Belmar, Nieto, Calvert. All of them have a bit of that spice to them, but the main guy on that line with that kind of a play is Matt Calvert. What's the common theme in all of this? Landeskog, Kadri, Comfer, and Calvert? They're little. They're little. They're not big bodies. Mm -hmm. So the Avalanche were missing that Wayne Simmons type of guy, that Michael Furlan type of guy, Josh Anderson type of guy. That's the kind of guy that I wish they would have gotten. Obviously, Josh Anderson uh, is not available because of his injury. Which brings me to my next option would have obviously been Wayne Simmons. That would have been a hell of a pickup. That is the exact guy this locker room would have loved, his play, everything. He ended up getting traded to Buffalo, who the Avalanche play on Wednesday. Uh, but that's beyond the point. That That's the type of player that the Avalanche should have gone after. Yeah, I've been saying that one for years. He's the exact type of player yeah. I, I, I like. I mean, he's not anything amazing, but we're not looking for somebody to yeah. throw into the top six here. We're just looking for some grit. So just yeah. to make it harder to push and it's, this and team around. Yeah, and it's not just grit. You know, those other guys have grit, but they're more pesky grit. This is a guy that is in your face, strong, tough guy. Wayne Simmons might not be the biggest body either, but Wayne Simmons will not back down from a fight with Milan Lucic like a lot of other guys on the Avalanche would, which with all due respect, anybody right. should. I probably would too. Landeskog has in the past, as Adorov did earlier this year. Uh, Wayne Simmons is the type of guy that would have fought him. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of guy that the Avalanche are missing. Skilled, powerful, strong, can score and hit and fight. That's yep. the guy the Avalanche are missing. Been saying it for years. Um, you know, I think that was one of Patty Waugh's MOs. And, you know, I think I've been hammering the table for that yeah. since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, just I guess a couple other guys that we we're a little bit disappointed that they didn't get here. Um, we kind of mentioned them last week and the week before, I think. Athanasio, once you kind of started talking about it, I, I kind of liked that idea. Yeah. He's just a fast, add some more skill. J.G. Peugeot, obviously one guy you wanted to see come to the Avs too. But a little, uh, I guess, 
underdog that I was kind of hoping for secretly was Vinny Trocek. I know he's uh, nothing amazing, yeah. but I thought he would have been a great locker room guy That's and just you know a good leader to add to that bottom six and, and add a little bit of experience too. He's a little bit older of a guy, so that was those were really the top three that I was hoping to land. But you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the pool. I would give the Nemestikov acquisition an A. Just flat out, no plus or minus, and I, I think the Hutchinson maybe a C plus. Yeah, that's not, that sounds about reasonable to me. Like I said, the goalie that I would have uh, liked for the Avalanche to pick up in that position would have been at Aaron Dell from San Jose, but they couldn't let him go at this point. Martin Jones has not been that good, and they don't really have any other goalies. Um, they've thrown in the towel at this point, but that would have been the kind of guy because that's the kind of guy where even if you need to play him two, three, four games in a row for whatever reason, God forbid – he can carry some slack. Hutchinson, you don't really have that kind of confidence. Now, uh, just to step away from the avalanche real quick and look around the rest of the league, any other guys that you were upset didn't get moved or you were hoping to see get moved that ended up standing pat or just any other trades that stood out that you want to kind of mention? You know, this wasn't one that I thought about in the morning, but once you started hearing those Zach Parisi rumors to the Islanders, man, I just I wanted to see that trade go down for two reasons. Number one, I love what the Islanders are doing. Uh, they're trying to inject some life into that offense with Peugeot, who they re-signed right away for a nice $5 million mm-hmm. contract over six years. Uh, but Lamorello wanted his guy. He wanted Parisi back, and it would have injected this offensive life. And the second reason – well, the, the second reason is because it would have taken Parisi away from Minnesota. You love Parisi. You hate Minnesota. It makes sense uh, to see him want to leave that team. And the third reason is I just wanted to see how that trade would have broken down. I wanted to see the salary that would have been picked up. I wanted to see who would have retained what. I mean, the NHL, these NHL GMs like to do some funky things. Uh, there was a trade today. It kind of happened a couple years ago involving Ryan Reeves and Derek Brassard. And it happened again today where you heard that the Golden Knights acquired Robin Leonard from Chicago. And then you heard that Malcolm Subban was going the other way, and then suddenly Toronto was part of the deal. And you're like, why is Toronto part of the deal? Well, what happened was Vegas traded Robin Leonard to Toronto and gave him a fifth-round draft pick as compensation, and then Toronto retained 50% of the salary and then shipped Leonard off to Chicago. So what Toronto did was make it cap-compliant for Chicago by eating up half the money that they can afford because of all their players on long-term injury that Chicago couldn't afford. And Vegas, in order for Toronto to do this, sorry for your trouble, here's a fifth-round draft pick. So I just really wanted to see the optics of a trade involving Zach Parisi's horrendous contract, Andrew Ladd and that crazy contract, and whatever else Lou Lamorello would have pulled out of his sleeve. So that would have been really cool just to see that trade go down. But it'll probably happen in the summer. Yeah, it's fascinating to kind of think about all the stuff that the GMs deal with. And I think only maybe about 10% of it actually comes public. Yeah. And, you know, we only know a handful of things. You know, I'm sure with how aggressive the Avs were, I'm sure there's tons of names that they were in on that we didn't even know about. And, you know, maybe we're even close. I was kind of bummed that Joe Thornton didn't move. I didn't, didn't yeah. care really where it was. I didn't really want him with the Avalanche. It would have been cool to see him, a good story to see him in Boston. Yep. But just the fact that he, he stayed put was a little bit disappointing for me. Yeah. And you saw Patrick Marlowe go to Pittsburgh, and that was that's really cool. Obviously, Marlowe's on a $700,000 contract, so it's easier. Um, but, yeah, that's a guy you definitely would have seen moved. Um, just in terms of the trades that did happen, uh, a pair of trades that I really liked were the pickups that Edmonton made. Uh, obviously, they acquired Mike Green last night, which is okay. It's a depth defenseman. Uh, but today, they went out and got Athanasiu from Detroit for two second rounders. Um, 
which Joe Sakic probably didn't want to pay because that's more than what you paid for Burakovsky. And you can't trade three second-round draft picks for two wingers like that in the matter of a six-month span. Uh, and the second guy they acquired was Tyler Ennis. This is what I've been sort of harping on with McDavid for all these years that the Oilers have, you know, since that playoff run they had in 2017, I want to say it was. McDavid's an exceptional player. He doesn't need to play with a Ranton and a Landeskog. That's not a slight at McKinnon. But the type of guy that McDavid is, you just need reasonable players around him. Mm-hmm. Reasonable is not Alex Chason and Josh Archibald uh, and, and Sam Gagne at the tail end of his career. Reasonable is Tyler Ennis and reasonable is Andres Athanasiu. You stick those two guys with McDavid, you're going to see what McDavid's going to do now. If McDavid had a rant in Atlantis, he's scoring 200 points a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to put two forwards with him that are actually reasonable, legit NHL players, even if they might not be a top six on other teams, is already going to catapult that team to, to heights that they have not seen since McDavid was drafted. And yeah, I think the Pacific's up for grabs. So you yeah, know, they really sure. were aggressive. And yeah, I like the moves they made too. It's going to be fun to see how that develops. And, you know, you're always cheering for Connor McDavid, especially since yep. he's out of the Central Division, doesn't really affect the Avalanche too much. You want to see him at least be in the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Um, that's about it. all I have for the trade deadline talk. Uh, anything else? Any other n- just trades just you just want to cover before we uh, get into a couple of last results for the abs? Uh, I mean, I guess that's about it. Uh, a lot of fun stuff happened today, like you said, with Trocheck And then Carolina obviously had to replace their injured D, so they went out and got Sammy Vatanen, and they went out and they got uh, Brady Shea. Um, Tampa Bay paid a first-round draft pick for Barclay Goudreau. I guess they're just throwing those around now <laughs> for, for every depth player they acquire. Uh, but all in all, it was a fun trade deadline. 31 deals. There was only 23 last year. There hasn't been 30 deals in the NHL at a deadline since I want to say 2011. Uh, or maybe it was 2010, but it's it's been a while. The deadlines have been a dud for all these years, and not only was it fun this year, not only were their big names moved, but it was also starting earlier in the day. Nemestikov was acquired at like 7.30 Mountain Time, which is 9.30 Eastern, which me, being from Detroit, watching these the last 10 years, it's always noon before the first trade happens. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun, and I'm you know I'm really happy the GMs made, made something of it, and I'm excited for the summer, especially – Again, touching on that Parisian lad deal that might happen. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that being said, let's get into a couple of last games. I mean, the ads are 3-0 and since our yeah. last podcast. It just seems like one week they are bad, one week they're great. One week they're bad. That's At least that's what the last couple podcasts have been. They've been so bipolar, like I mentioned last week. But two goals against in three games. You really got to, I guess, point the finger at Pavel Francouz right now. He's really the reason I think that the Avalanche are succeeding so well. Um, you know, so it's kind of timely that they also happen to sign him to a brand new deal and you know make sure that he's going to stay in Colorado for a couple more years so I, I love Francis's play right now um you know would you agree with me that that's kind of just the biggest catalyst in in that last little win streak here yeah just that if 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 the avalanche were ever thinking of acquiring a goalie more than a Hutchinson uh Pavel Francis took that thought and made it escape their mind after after his play this weekend shutting out the Ducks and and holding the Kings to one goal, which was a penalty shot goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a hell of a weekend. I'm really happy to see him re-sign. Two years, four million, two million a year. Uh, I personally was not expecting him to re-sign. I thought he was going to be gone this Same. summer. I thought he was be gone, and depending on how Grubauer plays, the Avalanche decide what they want to do with another goalie, Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. But to see that the Avalanche have faith in this kid, and to see that he was 
he was willing to sign a $2 million contract when teams probably would have called him this summer and said, come be our starter, we'll give you four. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a big reason why he started playing so well. I mean, a guy like that has to be a huge weight off your chest. You've worked so hard for so long, and you finally get a big payday. You know, you're no longer learn, earning that AHL money after this season. So, um, you know, shout out to Francis. I think just I love the way he's been playing. I, I've seen a lot of debate there on Twitter on how good is he really well he's a fantastic backup that's all they need him to be that's all they're asking him to be and you know very good chance he's maybe the best backup in the league I mean his safe percentage definitely helps me a little bit but you know here and there he's got some blips and he's still got some growing to do and I think that's what we love most about Francis is we've yet to see his ceiling so um you know once he's I think at his peak he's going to be well worth that two million year yeah, I agree with that. And uh, just to touch on his record now, after these last few games, he's sixteen five and three with a two twenty seven goals against and a nine twenty seven safe percentage. That you can't ask for more out of your quote backup goalie. You can't ask for much more than that. He's even the Tampa game. Tampa game. He was you know he was tossed. Uh, he was put into a situation that he shouldn't have been in, and he still almost won the Avalanche game and kept Tampa Bay to three goals before overtime when the Avalanche were mounting that comeback. Uh, but the Avs, yeah, they're going through a little bit of a weird stretch. But it's funny that we, you know, we sit here, we talk about them being a little bit bipolar. They are 11-3-1 in their last 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe it's us that's bipolar. <laughs> well, those four <laughs> losses that they have, well, obviously there was that one Philly loss, which was a rough loss right after the All-Star break. But then the other three losses were those three consecutive games: the outdoor game, the Capitals game, and the Lightning game, in no specific order. Mm-hmm. Two of them in ov- two of them in overtime. So, uh, one of them in overtime, two of them in regulation. So, they've been really good lately. Ever since that game where they shut out San Jose four to nothing, and then beat the Blues, beat the Red Wings, going into the All Star break. Ever since then, and they had that five-game winning streak. Now they're on a three-game winning streak. They're 11-3-1 in their last 15 games. They've played most of them without Kadri. They've played uh, some of them without Rantanen. They've played most of them without, or half of them about without Grubauer. Um, I think they're 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 doing something good right now. Yeah, I mean they're they're not scoring at the rate you'd like to see them, but which the, the, happens. Yeah. yeah, and the the wins aren't coming easy, but they're coming. That's what matters, right? At the end of the day, it's about W's, not how bad did you beat them. So. Um, I'm not too worried about the team's play and, you know, especially the wins against those teams, LA's, the Anaheim's, those are guys that usually cause the avalanche fits. It was, one of them was the second night of a back to back. You gotta be really, you know, I guess proud that they're squeaking them out. You know, they're not, they're not burying the four to five goals a game. Like we saw in a, in a few games earlier, but again, it's about wins and they're finding ways to win right now when it's really tough for them considering all the injuries. So Yeah, and, and, and Brendan McNicholas that works for the Avalanche's media relations, he tweeted it out the other day. This was the first time that the Avalanche swept a two-game road trip in, in California on back-to-back nights. They never know that. They, they barely used to go to California and play three games and come out with one point. Now they're winning the first game and then going in and winning the second game. Granted, the skill level, you know, the the compete level isn't there from these teams like it was in the past, but that's still a that's still an impressive feat, especially considering the second game Burakovsky was sick. So you had a second line that had Donskoy, Nachushkin, and Kaut. That was your second line of a game that you still outshot the Kings by a by a lot. You still you still uh, had a great offensive game. You still had a good showing in overtime. And you ended up winning it and only surrendering one goal, and it was a penalty shot on a very, very questionable call on Zadorov. Well, 
we don't need to, need to get into that. But uh, yeah, they they look good. They look good, and they're missing a lot of players. And we said this back in November that when the players come back, they'll go on a run, which the players ended up coming back, and they ended up going into a slump. But it's it's almost March now. Mm-hmm. When when Kadri, Ranton, and Calvert return and Grubauer, hopefully all healthy at the same time, and you put this team together the way that you want to, they're they're going to be hard to beat. I just my only request is that they figure out how to ma- stop making goalies look so good. I mean, uh, you go back to that Anaheim game, job John Gibson. You know, it was just another goalie to kind of take the game over against the Avs. They, they had a hard time scoring on him too. You know, at yeah. some point you got to stop praising the goalies because now it's a long list of goalies that the Avalanche have made look amazing this season. I mean, Shesterkin's first game, uh, the first game for who I forget the. Philadelphia Flyers goalie. That was his first NHL game. They made him look fantastic. John Gibson has looked fantastic. Jonathan Quick has looked fantastic against the Avs. Curtis McElhaney has looked fantastic. They got to figure out a way to get these goals back the way they're supposed to be. But that's, again, is going to come with health and just, you know, staying patient while they get through this tough stretch of the year. Yeah, and this is the time of the year where goal scoring drops off, you know, immensely. It happened with McKinnon last year. Uh, it happened with Ranton and last year. You saw their numbers sort of take a dip to more of a point-per-game pace rather than the one-point-whatever they operate at, 1.3, 1.4. So it's just good to see that they're getting the goaltending and they're they're tightening up defensively and and giving themselves the ability to win these games. So, you know, that's obviously really, really good to see. They did the same thing against Ottawa at home, or not Ottawa, the Islanders at home right before they went on the road trip. And, and you know it's it's they look good like there's no other way to put it right now they look really good and I know you mentioned Igor Shostorkin I just wanted to like mention a uh, a shout out to him and thoughts for him and his health because him and Pavel Buchnevich were involved in a car accident mm-hmm. last night Sunday and uh, he's gonna be out a couple weeks before he's reevaluated so he might be out longer uh, he has a non-displaced rib fracture so it's unfortunate news for the Rangers and for his young career and what he's been doing in the NHL taking it by storm but obviously his health comes first so you know we hope to see him back and if there was any Henrik Lundqvist rumors that squashed it yep they absolutely were, they, they were not going to trade that's him the yeah. reason he didn't move um and then the last thing I wanted to touch on for the, uh, the Kings game um you know it was a shootout win it was just nice to see we were complaining about it last week nice to see the Avalanche not losing overtime for once Sure, you're still waiting to see them win in overtime, but it, at least they got it to the shootout this time. Yeah, and uh, they did not have a good overtime. <laughs> no, it wasn't uh, pretty. I believe the sh- the way that the shots were distributed for the Kings, they had seven on the in the first period, three in the second, six in the third. The Avalanche just completely destroyed them in every part of the game, five in overtime. <laughs> so they had three shots in the second period, they had five in overtime. And Francois made some nice saves, and I don't know what it is about overtime and why this team with all the skill and talent can't play well in overtime. They were outshot by the Kings, 5-1 to one in overtime. And luckily they got it to the shootout, and luckily Donskoy pulled a move out of his hat and won it for them. But it's nice to see them, like you said, it's nice to see them get it to a shootout and win the shootout. It's only their second one of the year, and it's their first victory. It's funny to me that it has to be a guy like Donskoy to score in the shootout because the guys who are or have been here in the past and – We've just seen a lot of failed shootouts, in my opinion. McKinnon, so. Landeskog, you don't have the type of confidence you do uh, with them that you used to with the Volskis and Spados mm-hmm. and Hayduk and those guys. But, like, when McKinnon's on a breakaway, you, you've got He's all— money. Yeah, as long as he hits the net. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's weird how you, you just don't have that much confidence in him in a shootout. Yeah, it's really weird. 
Well, that's all I have on the docket for today. Obviously, we got to get to the three stars of the week unless, again, you have anything else you want to toss out there. All good from here. All right. Time to get to the three stars of the week brought to you by, let's say, Mile High Sports today. Star number three, as much as it pains me to say it because I'm so damn jealous of this guy, Dave Ayers. (laughs) <laughs> the emergency like, backup goalie. Where are you going goalie. with this? Where are you the going? The emergency backup goalie, not even getting to suit up, getting to play, getting to make some saves. He didn't look too smooth, but man, he had a solid and r- solid defense in front of him. They were just trying really hard. Yeah, I mean, he won the game. It was it was just funny to see Rod Brindamore's face when he was coming onto the ice. The Carolina Hurricanes bench was just laughing. They're in the middle of a playoff race in the second period of a very important game against a team they're battling for positioning, and they're cracking up. They're laughing their asses off, and Rod Brindamore's there with that straight face, just like shaking his head in disbelief, like, I can't believe this is friggin' happening. It's a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. He's coming into my crease to win me a game, and he did. He let in two goals on 10 shots, yes, and they were two consecutive shots, but he stopped a full... A full-length two-minute power play of the Maple Leafs. He stopped Austin Matthews twice. He won him a game, man. It was really, really cool. And it's it's, it's a really cool experience, but it's also one of those things that you have to think the NHL is going to change in the near future, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just not going to happen again. You can't have – It doesn't make sense, you, especially because yeah. a lot of these guys aren't very good at goaltending. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a cool little thing that's been happening, and it happened with Foster, and now it's happening with this guy. Foster was actually good. I'll give it to him. Yeah, he Ayers, I he, yeah, he Fo- belongs Foster, in a D league. Yeah, Foster made a nice save on Paul Stasny. I remember that one and Patrick Line. Um, but this is something that's becoming more prevalent: goalie injuries and goalies going down. And it's becoming there has been made way too many close calls this years this year of this happening that I'm surprised it took this long for one to actually have to play. Uh, who was it that was talking about it on Sportsnet? Chris Versteeg was talking about it on Sportsnet this morning. He said, "Look, this is it's really cool. It's a fun experience. You know, no disrespect to Dave Ayers, but." The NHL cannot have this happen. You cannot have a random guy off the street come in and play goalie in a multi-billion dollar industry. There, There's going to be changes. There's going to be something out there about putting a goalie in the press box as a third string for every team. And it could be the guys like the Michael Hutchinsons and the Louis Domingues that are maybe reaching the end of their careers and nobody wants to sign them. Well, hey, guess what? Now we're going to sign you. We're going to pay you, let's say, 75 k a year, what an ECHL goalie would make. You're going to sit in the press box, and this is going to be strictly your only job. Coming in if there's two injuries and practicing with the team when Grubauer or Francouz need to take a maintenance day. And yeah. I think that's a gig that you can give to 30 um, thir- thirty goalies that have NHL experience that are no longer really quality guys, but you can count on rather than bringing you know, someone off the street. It's just it, it, it can't happen in a multi-billion dollar industry. You'll never see it in the NFL. You'll never see it in the NBA. It shouldn't happen in the NHL. But when it does, it's a cool story. Yeah, I don't even think it needs to be an AHL caliber goalie. Maybe it more like an ECHL, you know, yeah. a guy who's probably never going to land in the NHL, but still is a viable option and doesn't look like his hips are hurting every step he takes out there right yep of course you're going to run into to a few problems with that because then you have practice when when is this guy going to see any shots because you don't want to have this you know joke of a third string goalie i don't want to say joke but obviously not ever meant to play any games you don't want him taking up any uh, practice time or taking any shots from the main guys you know you only have two nets out there so there's there's some things that need to be i guess tweaked and, I'm and sure, figured out. Yeah, I'm sure the NHL will figure it out. They'll find a way to make it work. But I do have confidence. I, I, I am confident when I say that this is probably going to change after this season and mm-hmm. we won't see this ever again. 
Um, I'm down with creating more jobs for my for my goalie brother. Yeah, for sure. Star number two has got to go to Martin Kaut. Obviously, it's fun to see uh, you know him come up, get his first assist on that JT Comfort goal, and just how happy he was. You know, it was a hard working play. It was a really nice play, and you can tell he's just a, he's just a good guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, watching him during the uh, intermission interview, he was just so happy when he heard that Zadorov grabbed the puck from that assist. He was like, "No way, he got that for me!" And so, yeah. what did he do later that he night? Went and got it for Francis. When Francis had his first shutout, him and, him and Francis have a hell of a relationship. They're both from the Czech Republic, and and he relied he he relied on Francis a lot. Francis sort of was his mentor last year when they both came to the to North America at mm-hmm. the same time to play for the Colorado Eagles. Um, he loves that guy, and, and it was nice to see the same day Kaut gets his first point was the same day that Francis signed a two-year deal and got his first shutout. Yep, I, and I liked Kaut's game. You know, I yeah. think he's he's That second game, he looked for. pretty comfortable, mm-hmm. yeah. And that leads me to my first star, Pavel Francis. Nobody Not only getting paid, but man, is he playing well, just he's leading this team. He's killing it, man. Yeah. His, his 927 save percentage, and it was like a 923 two games ago. And you got to play pretty damn good to bring a 923 up to a 927 in two games this late in the season. There's a lot of math around that, and it's just you have to do something like what he did this weekend and give up one goal. Uh, his 927 in the NHL is fifth in the league behind Rask, Kemper, Jari, and Hudobin. That's it. And then he sits fifth in the league in uh, goals against that, or sorry, his goals against average, and then his save percentage is also fifth in the league behind the same guys: Kemper, Rask, Hudobin, and Jerry. Well, he's actually tied for fourth with Jari, so he's right there with the best goalies in the league in terms of save percentage. The top guys are nine twenty nine, and he's in nine twenty seven. He's just tough to beat, man. I mean, I'm confident when people are walking in on him about to shoot that he's gonna make the save. Yeah. I'm rarely nervous when he's in net. So you know, it's something I've seen since the first day I saw him, and I'm glad that he's panning out. And, uh, you know, he's only getting better, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and it's great to have that with two goldies for once, uh, where you're you're confident with both guys on any given night. Yep, he is getting older, so who knows how long this window is. But for now, I think he, he's still on the rise. So, love the guy. Great three stars of the week, I think. Two goalies, I guess, a little biased over here. <laughs> goal, it was a good week for goalies. Good week for goalies. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us uh, for wrapping up that trade deadline episode um we'll be back next week sometime both Eric and i are taking a couple trips i'm actually going to be in nashville um watching the avs play take on the uh, predators this weekend i'm going as a fan just going to enjoy and, and you know have some adult beverages and, and just have yep. a good time that'll know? be the second game of the three game road swing and then the third game will be in detroit a week from today i'll be there for that game covering my first road game go figure it's going to be where i grew up in my home so i'm really excited to be there at little caesar's arena uh i'll definitely get some content out of that maybe some interviews maybe something we can use for a future podcast next week and yeah that's that's all i got i'm excited for for this upcoming week yep i'm excited to go to nashville so if you have any tips or places i should make sure to hit <laughs> let me know on twitter at jj of the year he's run right Arif, if you want to reach him on twitter and that's all we got for you this week tune in next time and uh thanks for joining us we got you